Section four of The Bookman, March nineteen twenty one, by Various. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. The Bookman, March nineteen twenty one, by Various. Section four. The Curious Case of Kennel Digby by Christopher Morley. Being the first of a series of literary detective adventures we had been dining together at the hotel ansonia and as we walked up the shining breezy channel of broadway my friend dove dulcet the well-known poet and literary agent vigorously expounded a theorem which i afterward had occasion to remember there is every reason he cried why a poet should be the best of detectives my boy there is a rhyme in events as well as in words when you see two separate and apparently unconnected happenings that seem as one might say to rhyme together you begin to suspect one author behind them both it is the function of the poet to have a quick and tender apprehension of similarities the root of poetry is nothing else than describing things as being like other apparently quite different things the lady who compared herself to a bird in a gilded cage was chaffed for her opulent and spendthrift imagination but in that lively simile she showed an understanding of the poetic principle look here what is the commonest phrase of the detectives to put two and two together what else i ask you is the poet doing all the time but putting two and two together two rhymes and then two rhymes more and making a quatrain he swung his stick puffed strongly at his cigar and amorously surveyed the deep blue of the night against which the huge blocks of apartment houses spread their random patterns of lighted windows between these granite cliffs flowed a racing stream of bright motors like the rapids of a river of light hurrying downward to the whirlpool of times square either for a poet or for a detective he said gaily this seems to me the ideal region i tell you i walk about here suspecting the most glorious crimes when i see the number of banana splits that are consumed in these glittering drug stores i feel sure that somewhere in the purple silences of the night hideous consequences must follow those who feed so violently on that brutalizing mixture of banana chocolate ice cream cherry syrup and whipped marshmallow must certainly be gruesome at heart i look out of my window late at night toward the scattered lights of that vast pile of apartments always thinking to see them blaze some great golden symbol or letter into the darkness some terrible or obscene code that means death and terror your analogy seems to have some sense i said certainly the minor poet like the lawbreaker loves to linger about the scene of his rhyme or crime you are an amateur of puns he replied then let me tell you the motto i have coined to express the spirit of this little white way ein feist bourgeois ist unser gott this is the proud kingdom of the triumphant middle class it is a perilous country for a poet if he were found out he would be martyred at the nearest subway station but how i love it see how the quiet side streets cut across highways so richly contrasting west end avenue 
leafy expensive and genteel broadway so gloriously cruel and artificial amsterdam avenue so honestly and poignantly real my club is the hartford lunchroom where they call an omelette an omulette and where the mystic word combo resounds through the hatchway to the fat man in the kitchen my church is the st agnes branch of the public library over on amsterdam avenue in those cool quiet rooms when i watch the pensive readers i have a sense of treading near an artery of fine human idealism in all this various neighborhood i have a cheerful conviction that almost anything might happen in the late afternoon when the crosswise streets end on a glimpse of the jersey bluffs that glow like smoky blue opals and smell like rotten apples i feel myself on the very door-rail of the most stunning outrages we both laughed and turned off on seventy-seventh street to the small apartment house where dulcet had a comfortable suite of two rooms and bath in his book-lined sitting-room we lit our pipes and sat down for a gossip we had been talking at dinner of the extraordinary number of grievous deaths of well-known authors that had happened that year as it is almost unnecessary to remind you there was dunraven bleak the humorous essayist who was found stark in both senses in his bathtub and cynthia carboy the famous writer of bedtime stories who fell down the elevator shaft in the case of mrs carboy the police were distracted because her body was found at the top of the building and the detective bureau insisted that in some unexplainable manner she must have fallen up the shaft but as dulcet pointed out at the time of the author's league inquiry the body might have been carried upstairs after the accident then there was andrew battle the psychological novelist whose end was peculiarly atrocious and miserable because it seemed that he had contracted tetanus from handling a typewriter ribbon that showed signs of having been poisoned frank lebanon the brilliant short story writer was stabbed in the fullness of his powers and there were others whom i do not recall at the moment mr dulcet had suffered severely by these sad occurrences for a number of these authors were his clients and the loss of the commissions on the sale of their works was a serious item the secret of these tragedies had never been discovered and there had been something of a panic among members of the authors league the rumour of a pogrom among best-selling writers was tactfully hushed what is your friend kenelm digby writing nowadays i asked as i looked along dulcet's shelves digby the brilliant novelist was probably dulcet's most distinguished client an eccentric fellow who in spite of his excellent royalties lived a solitary and modest existence in a boarding-house somewhere in that part of the west side outside his own circle of intimates dulcet was almost the only man whom digby saw much of and many of us who admired the novelist's work had our only knowledge of his person from hearing the agent talk of him by george i'm glad you reminded me said dulcet why he has just finished a story and he telephoned me this afternoon asking me to stop over at his house this evening to get the manuscript he never has any dealings with the editors on his own hook likes me to attend to all his business arrangements for him i said i'd run over there about ten o'clock 
that last book of his was a great piece of work i said i've been following his stuff for over ten years and he looks to me about the most promising fellow we've got he has something of the fairy touch it seems to me yes he's the real thing said dulcet blowing a blue cloud of his cartesian mixture i only wish he were not quite so eccentric he lives like a hermit crab over in a lodging-house near the park even i who know him as well as most people never feel like intruding on him except when he asks me to i can't help thinking it would be good for him to get out more and see something of other men in his line of work i tried to get him to join the snails but he says that amsterdam avenue is his only amusement and central park seems to be his country club i wonder if you've noticed that in his tales whenever he wants to describe a bit of country he takes it right out of the park i sometimes suspect that's the only scenery he knows he has attained a very unusual status among writers i said in my rambles around among bookshops i have noticed that his first editions bring quite a good price it's very seldom that a writer at any rate an american gets collected during his lifetime did you ever see any of his manuscript asked dulcet and on my shaking my head he took out a thick packet of foolscap from a cabinet this is the original of girlhood he explained digby gave it to me it'll be worth a lot some day i looked with interest at the neatly written sheets thickly covered with a small beautiful and rather crabbed penmanship worth a lot i exclaimed well i should say so why the other day i was browsing round in a bookshop and found a lot of his first editions marked at fifteen dollars each it struck me as a very high price for i know i have seen them listed for three or four dollars in catalogues exorbitantly high dulcet said i'm afraid your bookseller is profiteering i admire digby as much as anyone but that is an artificial price the firsts aren't rare enough to warrant any such price as that still i'm glad to know about it as it's a sign of growing recognition i remember the time when it was all i could do to get any editors to look at his things i'll have to tell him about that it will please him mightily we sat for a while chatting about this and that and then dulcet got up and put on his hat look here old man he said you squat here and be comfortable while i run round to digby it won't take me more than a few minutes he lives on eighty-second street i'll be back right speedily and we can go on with our talk i heard him go down in the elevator and then i relit my pipe and picked out a book from one of his shelves i remember that it was relit severance amusing gastronomy as a fine art i smiled at finding this in dulcet's library for i knew that the agent rather prided himself on being something of a gourmet and i was reading the essay of the jovial french epicure with a good deal of relish when the telephone rang i went to it with that slight feeling of embarrassment one always has in answering someone else's phone to my surprise it was dulcet's voice hello he said that's you ben listen i want you to come round to digby's right away and he gave the address thinking he had arranged a chance for me to meet digby i had long wanted to do so i felt hesitant about intruding but he repeated his message rather sharply please come at once he said it's important again he gave the straight number made me promise to come immediately and rang off 
it was nearly half past ten and the streets were fairly quiet as i walked briskly along the house was one of a row of old cocoa-colored stone dwellings and evidently someone was watching for me for while i was trying to read the numbers a door opened and from a dark hall an arm beckoned to me i went up the tall steps and a stout woman who seemed to be in some agitation whispered my name interrogatively is this mr toronto she murmured yes i said puzzled third floor front she said and i creaked quietly up the stairs i tapped at the front room on the top floor and dulcet opened thank goodness you're here ben he said something has happened it was a large comfortable room crowded with books on three walls furnished with easy chairs and a couch in one corner a brilliant blaze of light from several bulbs under a frosted hood poured upon a reading table in the middle of the room sitting at this table in a windsor chair slumped down into the seat was a short stout man whose head lolled sideways over his chest he was wearing a tweed suit and a soft shirt and looked as though he had fallen asleep at his work in front of him were some books and a can of tobacco i recognized him of course from the photographs i had often seen it was digby i looked at dulcet aghast but as always at such moments what was uppermost in my mind was something trivial and irrelevant i had an intense desire to open a window the air in that room was thick and foggy a sort of close strangling frost of venomously strong tobacco and furnace gas after the clear elixir of the wintry night it was loathsome it was the typical smell that hangs about the rooms of literary bachelors who work all day long in a room without ever thinking of airing it yes he said he's dead pretty awful isn't it i found him like this when i got here no sign of injury so far as i can see there was something profoundly dreadful in this first sight as mere sagging clay of the brilliant and powerful writer whose books i had so long admired and whom i had thought of as one of the strong and fortunate few who shape human perplexities to their own ends i looked down at him with a miserable blackness in my spirit and laid a hand on dulcet's shoulder in sympathy i've sent for a doctor he said before he comes i want to get all the information i can from the landlady i wanted to have you here as a witness i haven't touched anything the woman had followed me upstairs and stood crying quietly in the doorway come in mrs barlow said dulcet now please tell us everything you can about where mr digby went this evening and anything that has happened mrs barlow who seemed to be a good-hearted simple-minded creature snuffled wretchedly oh dear oh dear she said he was such a nice gentleman too let me see he went out about seven i suppose for his supper but he was always irregular about his meals you never could tell sometimes he would eat in the middle of the afternoon and sometimes not till late at night i always would urge him that he would die of indigestion but he was so kind-hearted you don't know where he went said dulcet perhaps he went round to the laundry she said for he had a parcel with him which i took to be his laundry because he usually took it out on monday evenings because by that time the clean shirt he put on on sunday was ready to go to the wash 
i hate to think that in all the years he lived in this house his laundry was the only thing we ever had a difference about because i used to have it done in the house for him but he said my washwoman tore the buttons off his shirts or collars or something so a little while ago he started taking his things out to be done but i don't know where because he used to call for them himself you haven't any idea where he used to eat insisted dulcet oh no sir he liked to go to different places you know yourself how he was always a bit queer and concentric and he never talked much about where he went but always so nice and considerate oh he was a fine gentleman mrs barlow plainly much grieved wept anew please try to tell us everything you can think of said dulcet gently what time did he come in and did you notice anything unusual nothing out of the way that i can think of but when i was down in the basement most of the evening for i let my maid go to the movies and i had a deal to do i suppose he went along amsterdam avenue he was always strolling up and down amsterdam or columbus poor man getting ideas for his literature i guess he came back about nine o'clock i should say because i heard the door about then just a few minutes before he came in there was a man came to the door with a tin of tobacco for him which he said mr digby had ordered sent around and i took it up and put it on his table there it is now poor man carter's mixture mrs barlow pointed to the tin of cartesian mixture that stood on the table evidently it had only just been opened for it was practically full yes said dulcet here's his pipe lying on the floor under his chair he picked up the briar and glanced at it only just begun to smoke it for the tobacco is only a little burned he must have been smoking when he there wasn't anything else you could think of the woman dried her eyes with her apron there was just one other thing i noticed but i suppose it's silly but i took note of it special because i thought i had heard it before lately while he was out and a little before the man brought the tin of tobacco i heard a sharp tapping out on the street in front of the house i noticed it special because i thought at first it was someone rapping on the door and i wondered if the bell was out of order again but when i went i couldn't see anyone but i wondered about it because i heard it two or three times a sharp kind of tapping it sounded some way like hitting on a stone with a stick of some sort dulcet and i looked at each other rather blankly and after that she went on i didn't think about anything one way or another until you came in and i told you to go right up there was a clear peal from the front door bell that's the doctor said dulcet and mrs barlow hurried downstairs i have never seen anyone so brisk and matter-of-fact as that physician and after his arrival the affair seemed to pass out of dulcet's hands into the painful official machinery that takes charge in such events dulcet acting as the dead writer's literary representative went into the adjoining room which was digby's study to look over the papers in the desk for any manuscripts that he ought to take care of he wrote out a list of friends and relatives for me to send telegrams to and i went out to attend to this i don't know how they get wind of these affairs but the reporters were already beginning to arrive when i left the next day and for several days afterward the papers all carried long stories about poor digby's brilliant career 
then the literary weeklies took it up at the libraries and bookshops everyone was asking for his books and i have never seen a more depressing illustration of the familiar fact that a writer's real fame never comes until it is too late to do him any good editors and people who had hardly been aware of digby's genius while he was alive now praised him fluently speaking of him as america's most honest realist and all that sort of thing moving picture people began inquiring about the film rights of his novels some of the sensational newspapers tried to play up his death as a mystery story but the physicians asserted heart failure as the cause and this aspect of the matter soon subsided except at the funeral which was attended by a great many literary people i did not see dulcet for some days i gathered from what i read in the news that digby's will had appointed him executor of his literary property and i knew that he must have much to attend to but one afternoon the telephone rang and dulcet asked me if i could knock off work and come round to see him as i was living uptown at the time it only took me a few minutes to go round to his apartment i found him smoking a pipe as usual and looking pale and fagged he welcomed me with his affectionate cordiality and i sat down to hear what was on his mind you must excuse me if i'm a little upset he said i've just had an interview with a ghoul a fellow came in to see me who had heard that i have a number of poor digby's books and manuscripts he wanted to buy them from me offered big prices for them he said that since digby's death all his first editions and so on have gone up enormously in value apparently he expected me to do trading over the dead body of a friend he smoked a while in silence and then said sorry not to have seen you sooner but to tell the truth i've had my hands full his brother who was the nearest kin couldn't come from ohio on account of serious illness and everything fell on me i had to pack up all his things and ship them all that sort of business but i've been wanting to talk to you about it because i'm convinced there was something queer about the whole affair i'm not satisfied with that heart failure verdict that's absurd there was nothing wrong with his heart that i ever heard of it's very unfortunate that for the first few days i was too occupied with urgent matters to be able to follow up the various angles of the affair but i've been turning it over in my mind and i've got some ideas i'd like to share with you you remember what i told you with unfortunate levity about the secret of detective work being ability to notice the unsuspected rhymes in, in events well there are one or two features of this affair that seem to me to rhyme together in a very sinister fashion wait a minute until i put on my other coat and we'll go out he went into his bedroom i had not liked to interrupt him but i was yearning for a smoke for leaving my rooms in a hurry i had forgotten to bring my pouch with me on his mantelpiece i saw a tin of tobacco and began to fill my pipe to my surprise just as i was taking out a match he darted out of the bedroom uttered an exclamation and snatched the briar from my hand sorry he said bluntly but you mustn't smoke that it's something very special he opened his penknife scraped out the weed i had put in the bowl and carefully put it back in the tin he took the tin and locked it in his desk try some of this he said handing his pouch i concluded that the tension of the past days had troubled his nerves this rudeness was so unlike him that i knew there must be some explanation 
but he offered none as we went down the elevator he said the question is can you make a rhyme out of tobacco and collar buttons no i said a little peevishly and i don't believe anyone could except edward lear well he continued that's what we've got to do and don't imagine that it's merely a nonsense rhyme any more than lear's were edward lear was as great as king lear in his own way he led me to eighty-second street the december afternoon was already dark as we approached mrs barlow's house at the foot of her front steps he halted and turned to me is your pipe going he said no i said irritably it's out and i haven't any tobacco don't be surly old chap i'll give you some if you'll tell me what you do when your pipe goes out why you idiot i cried i do this and i knocked out the ashes by striking the bowl smartly against the palm of my hand ah he said but some people do this he bent down and wrapped his pipe against the stone ramp of the steps with a clear sharp hollow sound yes a good way to break a nice pipe i was remarking when the basement door of the house flew open and mrs barlow darted out into the sunken area just below the pavement level in the pale lemon-coloured glare of a nearby street lamp we could see that she was strongly excited good gracious she panted is it mr dulcet oh sir you did give me a turn oh dear that was just the tapping sound i heard the night poor mr digby died what was it did you hear it like this said dulcet knocking his pipe again on the stone step that was it exactly she said what a fright to be sure was it only someone knocking his pipe like that oh dear it did bring back that horrid evening just as plain so much for the mysterious death rap said dulcet as we walked back toward amsterdam avenue i can't claim much ingenuity for that however you see the morning after digby's death i went round to mrs barrow's early before she had been out to sweep her pavement the first thing i noticed by the lowest step was a little dottle of tobacco such as falls from a half-smoked pipe when it is knocked out that seemed to me to make a perfect couplet with mrs barrow's tale of the tapping she had heard she heard it several times you remember in a short space of time that suggests to me someone standing on the street or walking up and down in a state of nervousness because he didn't smoke any of his pipes through when they were only half smoked he knocked them out in sheer impatience was he waiting for someone perhaps it was digby himself i suggested i don't think so he said because in the first place nervousness was the last thing i would associate with his temperament which was calm and collected in the extreme and also he always smoked brown-eyed blend and had done so for years that was the first thing that struck me as unusual the night we were there that tin of cartesian on the table he was a man of fixed habits why should he have made a change just that night i picked up the little wad of tobacco i found lying on the step and took it carefully home it's cartesian or i'm a dutchman so item one in our criminal rhyme scheme is find me a nervous man smoking cartesian it's a bit fanciful i objected of course it is he cried but crime is a fanciful thing 
ever let the fancy roam as keith said what the deuce is the line that follows suppose we stroll down amsterdam avenue and find a new place to have dinner poor old digby he said as we walked along admiring the lighted caves of the shop windows how he enjoyed all this you know there is a certain honest simplicity about amsterdam avenue's merchandising that is pleasant to contemplate after the shining sophistications of broadway in a broadway delicatessen window you'll see such horrid luxuries as jars of coxcombs and jelly whereas along here the groceries show candid and heartening signs of such as this coming back to the old times seventeen cents pound sugar amsterdam avenue shopkeepers speak with engaging directness about their traffic for instance there's a barber at the corner of eighty-first street who embosses on his window the legend yes we do buster brown haircutting that sort of thing is very humane and genuine that's why digby was so fond of it there's a laundry along here somewhere that i have often noticed it calls itself the fastidious laundry speaking of laundries i said what do you think of this we stopped and i pointed to a neatly lettered placard in a laundry window which had caught my eye it said notice to artists and authors we sew buttons on soft collars free of charge by jove i said there's a laundry that has the right idea i think i'll bring my i broke off when i saw my companion's face he was leaning forward toward the pane and his eyes were bright but curiously empty as though in some way the mechanism of sight had been reversed and he was looking inward rather than out that's very odd he said presently i've been up and down the street many times but i never noticed that sign before he turned and marched into the shop and i followed in the soft steamy air several girls were ironing shirts and a plump pink cheeked hebrew stood behind a counter wrapping up bundles i noticed your sign in the window said dulcet what do you charge for laundering soft collars five cents each but we mend them too and sew on the buttons that's a good idea said dulcet genially i wish i'd known that before i'd have brought my collars round to you how long have you been doing that i often go by here but i never saw the sign before only about a week the man replied let's see a week ago last monday i put that sign up you wouldn't believe how much new trade it has brought in i thought it would be a kind of a joke the man next door suggested it and i put it in to please him but most everybody wears soft collars nowadays and it seems good business the man next door said dulcet in a casual tone sure the cigar store is his name stork said dulcet reflectively stork why no basswood what do you mean stork i mean said dulcet slowly does he ever stand on one leg quit your kidding cried the laundryman annoyed i assure you i do not trifle said dulcet gravely i'll bring you in some collars to fix up for me much obliged we went out again and my companion stood for a moment in front of the laundry window looking thoughtfully at the sign while you ponder old son i said i'll run into mr stork basswoods and get some tobacco he seized my arm in a firm and painful clutch and whispered look at the corner the laundry was the second shop from the corner 
under the lamp post at the angle of the street i saw to my amazement a man standing balanced on one leg directly under the light he was partly in shadow and i could only see him in silhouette but the absurd profile of his one-legged attitude afflicted me with a renewed sense of absurdity and irritation dulcet i thought had evidently suffered some serious stroke in the region of his wits now he said softly can you see any rhyme between soft collars and standing on one leg as he spoke we both started for somewhere near us on the street there sounded a sharp tapping a ringing hollow wooden sound evidently it came from the one-legged man this was too much for my composure i broke away from dulcet and ran to the corner as i got there the one-legged creature put down a concealed limb and stood solidly on two feet in a state of normalcy as an eminent statesman would say i was confused and said angrily to the man here you mustn't stand like that on the public street you know on one leg it's setting a bad example to my amazement he made no retort whatever but turned and scuttled hastily down the avenue disappearing in the crowds that were doing their evening marketing my dear fellow said dulcet calmly coming up to me you shouldn't have done that you very nearly spoiled it all come on let's go in and get your tobacco basswoods proved to be one of those interesting combination tobacco stationery toy and bookshops which are so common on the upper west side i have often noticed that these places are by no means unfruitful as hunting ground for books because the dealers are wholly ignorant of literature and sometimes one may find on their shelves some forgotten volume that has been there for years and which they will gladly part with for a song a good many of these stores have tucked away at the back a shabby stock of circulating library volumes that have come down through many changes of proprietorship only the other day i saw in just such a place first editions of kenneth graham's the golden age and arthur Mathen's the three impostors which the storekeeper was delighted to sell for fifteen cents each a dark young man was behind the tobacco counter and from him i got a packet of my usual blend mr basswood in said dulcet just stepped out said the young man we lit our pipes and looked round the shop glancing at the magazines and the queer miscellany of books as it was approaching christmas time there was a profuse assortment of those dreadful little bibelots that go by the name of gift books among which were the usual copies of processional and vampire thoreau's friendship ballads of the chichaco bound in what the trade calls padded ooze i was particularly heartened to observe that one of those atrocities called as a man thinketh was described on the box for all such books come in little cardboard cases as being bound in antique yap this pleased me so much that i was about to call it to dulcet's attention when i saw that he was looking at me from the rear of the store with a spark in his eye i approached and found that he was staring at a doorway partly concealed by a pile of christmas toys and novelties over this door was a sign j basswood rare book department can we go in and look at the rare books said dulcet sure thing said the young man help yourself the boss will be back soon 
if you want to buy anything mr basswood was evidently a man of some literary discretion to our amazement we found in a dark little room lined with shelves a judicious assortment of modern books several hundred volumes and all first editions or autographed copies the prices were marked in cipher so we could not tell whether there were any bargains among them but i know that i saw several particularly rare and desirable things which i would have been glad to have good heavens i said to dulcet friend basswood is a real collector there isn't a thing here that isn't of prime value he was staring at a shelf in the corner and i went over to see what he had found upon my soul i cried look at the digbys not merely one copy of each but three or four this man must have specialized in digbys not only that said dulcet but he has three of the autogenesis of a novelist the first thing that digby wrote it was privately printed and afterwards suppressed it's devilish rare even i haven't got a copy i wish i knew what prices he asked for these things look at this i said perhaps this will tell us i picked up one of a pile of pamphlets that were lying in a large sheet of wrapping paper in a corner of the room it was evidently a new catalogue of mr basswood's rare books that had just come from the printer here we are i said turning over the leaves look at this special note fine collection of digbiana j basswood wishes to call particular attention to the digbiana listed below anticipating the growing interest in collector's items of this great writer's work j basswood has taken pains to gather a stock of first editions and presentation copies which is absolutely unique the prices of these items while high are a fair index of the appreciation in which this author's work is held among connoisseurs all our copies in good condition and their authenticity is guaranteed november fifteenth nineteen dulcet seized the catalogue and ran his eye down the pages girlhood first edition Bolton Rifflin company nineteen o one one hundred dollars he read the nuisance of being loved first edition seventy five dollars the princess quarrelsome ninety dollars the anatomy of cheerfulness autograph copy a hundred and fifty dollars distemper acting copy signed by the author and richard mansfield two hundred dollars why he cried shrilly this is madness i am in touch with all the dealers in this sort of thing and i know the proper prices this man has multiplied them by ten he thrust the catalogue into his pocket and glared round at the musty shelves i suppose it's due to poor digby's death i said i saw that dulcet was overwrought and suggested that we go out and get some supper supper he said a good idea i know a place on broadway where we can get some guinea pigs he strode out of the store and i followed wondering what next he seized my arm and hurried me along seventy-ninth street to broadway to be concluded End of section four